Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pitch. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. Coming up in today's Catholic View feature being a Thursday, we focus on women and today we learn more about the Sizimbokodo movement. But as usual, we first begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. This is Archbishop Buti Kakale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Thursday evening, Pope Francis writes preface to book on the curse of corruption. Essay calls for calm in Lesotho following killing of Tabani's wife. And Mrs. Universe comes to essay. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Girish. Pope Francis has written the preface for a new book by Cardinal Peter Turkson, former president of the Vatican's Justice and Peace Council and current head of the Office for Integral Human Development. The volume, which was published this Thursday, explores the origins and devastating consequences of corruption, which the Pope describes as a curse and a cancer that can consume our lives. Philippa Hitchin reports from Vatican Radio. The Italian volume, which is available in bookshops from Thursday, explores the origins and devastating consequences of corruption, which the Pope describes as a curse and a cancer that can consume our lives. In his preface, the Pope describes corruption as the breakdown of relationships that every human being has with God, with our neighbours and with the natural world around us. He describes it as the worst scourge of societies because it is the lifeblood of the mafia and other criminal organisations. Corruption, he says, is the origin of all exploitation and trafficking of people, drugs and weapons. It is at the heart of all injustice, lack of development, unemployment and social degradation. Pope Francis praises the book for exposing the ramifications of corruption and the way it can tempt all of us in our political, economic, cultural or spiritual lives. The spirit of worldliness can corrupt us all, the Pope warns, leading to a hardening of our hearts and indifference to those around us. The Pope ends his preface with an urgent appeal to all Christians and all people of goodwill to combat this curse, this cancer which can consume our lives. From Rome, the Church is coordinating unprecedented activities in the face of the migration crisis. The Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development has gathered dozens of representatives from Episcopal conferences in the countries most affected by this problem. They have recounted what they witness daily. One example is in India, as Monsignor Oswald Lewis explains. We have migration from 28 countries, but they are largely from Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Tibet, Myanmar and Bangladesh. 
Mexico is one of the countries hardest hit by migration crisis. Bishop Guillermo Ortiz regrets that neither the migrants nor the government of his country are aware of their rights and duties, as many of the migrants end up in the clutches of traffickers, an indicator of both the weakness of the state and the vulnerability of the migrants. It is important that the executors know the laws, understand their meaning and why they exist. But also we need to inform our migrant sisters and brothers of these laws and what they have the right to ask and demand. The objective of this meeting organized by the Vatican is to gather information from the local churches in order to collaborate with the UN. The United Nations is seeking a global treaty that defines both the rights of migrants and refugees and the duties of their host governments. This will be necessary in order to avoid abuse, injustice and the violation of human rights. Pope Francis in person has told the two undersecretaries of the dicastery that deals with the migrant issues that the strategy will not be developed by the Vatican, but by the local churches. Father Fabio Baggio is the dicastery undersecretary for promoting integral human development. He told us that the priority is to listen. The local churches are the first protagonists of the pastoral action of the church, we must listen in particular to the bishops by reading, revising and developing their proposals to really assist those needs that are perceived from the bottom up. Pope Francis, who is a descendant of migrants, decided to direct this dicastery himself. He meets once a month with its undersecretaries. South Africa has called for calmer in the Kingdom of Lesotho as the country's security forces go on high alert in preparation for Friday's inauguration of incoming Prime Minister Tom Tabane following the murder of his estranged wife, Dipolelo. Dipolelo Tabane and Tato Sibola, who work for the Ministry of Justice and Correctional Services, were shot on Wednesday night as they traveled home on the outskirts of the capital, Masse. Dipolelo Tabani succumbed to her injuries early Thursday morning in hospital, just a day before the swearing-in of prime-elect Tom Shabane. For more on this story, I spoke to Mr. Boy Mohapi, the executive secretary of the Lesotho Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace. The shocking uh, incident really, it has really brought a uh, surprise to, to everyone. Everybody is shocked and it's just tense in the country. Nobody knows what's what's happening, what's going to happen. And we only learned in the evening, last last, last evening, that uh, the Taliban's was former wife has just been shot. Surprisingly enough, this uh, this is reported to have been the second. The, the first attempt was on Monday, and this was reported to the police, but unfortunately she was not afforded the necessary uh, security that she because that, that that threat came on Monday and reported directly to the police, but unfortunately yesterday it happened again and it has taken her life. So we are really shocked. Everybody is shocked. We are not sure what is going to happen. Now that tomorrow a very, very important uh, event is expected uh, where his uh, installation uh, or rather inauguration as the prime minister is going to take place. Up to, up to so far, nothing official has been said. So 
all that has been said have been rumors, speculations, allegations, political, you know, motivations and stuff like that. But there hasn't really been any any official thing, either from the, the outgoing government or the incoming uh, coalition government, or rather even from the, 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 the political party that uh, Dr. Tabane uh, leads. Nothing, nothing, nothing official has, has been said, so we cannot stand up and say this is the, 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 the cause and this is the, the, the reason why she was, she was being killed. Up to, up to now, the belief is that the inauguration is still going to take place tomorrow. Nothing has been said, so we are hopeful that it will go as planned. We are praying that uh, things go as planned. We also want to uh, call everyone in South Africa and elsewhere to, to pray for Lesotho to be so with us at this, uh, this, this, this moment. And to, to, we are looking forward to having a new government that will bring about changes, that will, be, that will deal with issues like this one. Very, very unfortunate situation, really. <laughs> The World Health Organization, WHO, has confirmed two separate outbreaks of polio in the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. Linian Tang reports from the U.S. The World Health Organization is finalizing outbreak response plans to counter the risk of the disease spreading within the population. It is also strengthening surveillance and immunization activities in neighboring countries to prevent an international outbreak. The two new polio cases in the DRC follow reports of an outbreak in Syria last week. Polio is a highly infectious virus that mainly affects children under five years old and can lead to paralysis and death, according to the WHO. There is no cure. Up until this year, global efforts to eradicate the disease had pushed back the number of countries with polio cases to just three, Pakistan, Afghanistan and Nigeria. Staying with news from the DRC, the United Nations has documented dozens of cases of serious child abuse, including rape and kidnap in five days of violence by Congolese militias. The UN's mission in DR Congo, MONUSCO, said it had recorded 62 cases of serious child abuse by armed groups in the violence-wrecked East and by followers of slave militia leader Kwamwina Nsapo in the country's center between June 5th and 9th. The UN has repeatedly deplored the abuse of children's rights in vast, unstable DR Congo, particularly in the East, which has suffered more than 20 years of armed conflict fueled by struggle for control of lucrative mineral resources as well as ethnic and property disputes. Bishop Jean-Marie Bonnois Bala did not commit suicide. He was brutally murdered, said the Catholic bishops of Cameroon, calling for action to find those responsible for this hateful, unacceptable crime. The bishop's statement comes after an autopsy report that found Bishop Bala was tortured and brutally murdered. The autopsy clearly contradicted earlier statements by police that the bishop may have committed suicide. The bishops urged public officials to investigate the murder thoroughly and to assume the noble task of protecting human rights. They observed that Bishop Bala is only the latest of several Catholic priests in Cameroon who have been assassinated in circumstances still not clear today.
According to a government spokesperson, a suicide car bombing and assault by Shabab militants on two neighboring restaurants in Somalia's capital Mogadishu ended this Thursday morning with 18 dead. Vatican Radio's Lydia O'Kane has more. Somalia's security forces early this morning ended a night-long siege by al-Shabaab Islamic extremists at a popular Mogadishu restaurant. At least 19 people were killed. Survivors of the attack were led by soldiers from a pizza house restaurant building. On to international news. Closing gender gaps by 20% by 2025 could add up to 5.8 trillion U.S. dollars to the global economy and boost tax revenue. That's according to a new report by the International Labour Organization, ILO. Northern Africa, the Arab states and Southern Asia would see the great benefits given that in these regions, the gaps in participation rates between men and women exceed 50 percentage points. The ILO, which monitors global employment trends, releases its flagship World Economic and Social Outlook every year. Matthew Wells reports from UN News. The ILO report provides a portrait of the situation of women in the world of work today and their progress over the past 20 years. A key finding of the report is that gaps between men and women in the labour market remain widespread. Closing these gaps and labour market outcomes, however, would yield significant economic benefits. But there are still barriers to overcome, the agency highlights. For example, far fewer women participate in the labour market than men. And once in the job market, they're less likely than men to find a job, and the quality of employment remains a key concern. Stephen Tobin, a lead author of the report, says the world needs to start changing its attitude towards the role of women in the world of work and in society. The ILO report concludes by calling for equal pay for work of equal value, recognising and reducing unpaid care work, transforming institutions to prevent and eliminate discrimination, violence and harassment against women and men at work. Back home, Youth Day celebrations on Friday will not be only about festivities and speeches, but an opportunity to outline government's program aimed at improving the lives of young people. This is according to Deputy Minister in the Presidency for Performance, Monitoring and Evaluation, Buti Manamela. President Jacob Zuma will give the keynote speech at this year's June 16 commemoration in Venterstorp, Northwest. And finally, women from 84 participating countries are headed to South Africa for the Mrs. Universe 2017 pageant. This follows the announcement that Durban will be the first African city to host the 40th edition of the show on September 2nd. The pageant brings together women from all backgrounds, all of whom have overcome challenges to bring about positive changes in their respective communities. Lisa Madibe, the local pageant spokesperson, said that Mrs. South Africa office is yet to confirm whether the 37-year-old reigning queen, Hengue Twalat, will represent the country in September. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Thursday evening. It is Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Of course, you can also listen to us online. Simply log on to our website, radioveritas.co.za. I'm Sheila Pirsch, and coming up next is our woman feature.
Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. Today we focus on Sizimbo Kodo movement, a movement to smash the patriarchy and to plan a national shutdown. A broad base of activists, individuals, part of collectives, trade unions and social movements, as well as from CBOs and NGOs, are uniting energies for a national shutdown in August 2017, with lead-up activities already underway. On Wednesday, the movement called Sizimbokodo gathered in Johannesburg Central Methodist Church to launch the first of various meetings to galvanize and ensure that current legislative laws concerning the rights and protection of women and children are implemented. I spoke to Pumim Twitter ahead of Wednesday's meeting. This is Bogoto. basically comes from Imbogoto, which is uh, the Oak. Uh, you know, from the famous slogan uh, adopted by women from 1956 when they marched to the union building. So this collective or initiative or platform uh, met for the first time on the 18th of May last month following the murders and rapes and brutality that women's bodies are facing, women trans and lesbian bodies are facing in South Africa. Uh, If you can see that in the month of May alone, it is reported that 68 women trans and lesbians were murdered just one month on its own. And we know that South Africa has the highest statistics. So basically, this is an initiative to say enough is enough on one hand, but also to do it in a systematic way of attacking patriarchy, of attacking everything that goes against um, the respecting of women's bodies, uh, and of attacking the way in which masculinity can act itself out in a way that says, I own you, you are mine, and I can do whatever. And what is the worst is, um, you know, the idea of women's bodies being burnt, the idea of trans bodies being mutilated, and so on. So this initiative basically tries to engage in a process-long, not in an event form way, in a process-long way in which we will develop a, a set of demands which will hopefully turn into a women's charter, women's rights charter, trans people's charter, uh, that will be presented to government, but with CBOs, NGOs, individuals, all concerned people of all ages, 
to actually try and eliminate patriarchy, eliminate violence, eliminate misogyny from our communities. So this meeting today at the Central Methodist Church in Pritchard Street, downtown Johannesburg, aims to bring together the many voices and peoples that have been meeting to discuss these issues together under one platform with the hope of uh, uniting our efforts and building uh, uh, building towards achieving the goals that I just mentioned. If there's one thing about this country, we have so many laws. Exactly. The problem is that the laws are not being uh, upheld. That's uh, right. You know, uh, women also suffer at, uh, you know, at the hands of the police. If you might have picked up last week, there was a vigil outside the Poison Police Station because the police haven't done anything in relation to the taxi rates. Uh, that were reported two months ago. And the MEC for Safety and Security had promised that they would deal with it as quickly as possible. To this day, we haven't had a response on that regard. So we're not talking about laws. We're talking about a radical uh, a, a, a radical uh, shift in the way in which society and uh, men think about women's bodies. So if there is a political will, for example, to to eradicate violence against women in this country. You would have heard uh, our president say something, but we know that (laughs) this is not like a priority on his list either. You would have heard the minister of police say something. Uh, Just to talk about one person is not enough when you have like 68 people in one month dying and there is not even a public outcry from from our government. So one side is to say, let's let's make these laws work. Let's make sure that the sexual offenders register is available to everybody, so that I know, like I might I might have a neighbor who has been uh, convicted of a sexual of, of offense. But more than the laws is that we need to think of another type of messaging, other type of uh, outrooting or uh, outrooting a patriarchy and violence in our communities. So for as long we cannot just be, be be going to court and doing outside court, doing outside the police all the time. If that 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 action in and of itself that many activists undertake is a demonstration that the law, uh, the officials tasked with upholding the law, protecting people, is just not working. So we want to come together to think, and we have been thinking about some forms, new forms of actually building. What's been encouraging in the past few weeks has been like marches in communities, in towns, in villages, and so on, and discussions to actually build on this. So we want to build on that as a long-term thing, not just like 15 days of activism in November and December, but that this must be a permanent thing, which is why many of us actually do not appreciate at all when the only time you see, like, uh, the government say something on violence against women is in those 10 days of, uh, 60, I mean, those 16 days of activism against against violence on, on, on women, culminating on International uh, Human Rights Day. Yeah. Now, I hear what you're saying, Pumi, and, and uh, the other thing that comes to mind is this has to be an ongoing process. But at the same time, don't you think that as a society we need to be looking at the core, what are the core issues that bring up, bring about such violence towards women and children or towards the human being? And we also need to be looking at 
factors such as broken families, factors such as children being brought up by old and frail people who don't have the energy to run around and actually guide these children. We need to be looking at factors such as absent fathers in families. Now, these are ongoing things that have to carry on, not just at an event, like you said, but it has to be an ongoing process. And hence that we cannot just talk about inequality when even rich people or upper middle class people are committing violence. I think you're very right to say that there are so many problems that actually feed into uh, the prevalence of violence against women in our country. And the issues that you've mentioned, coupled with the fact that um, the psyche of... uh, We need to find ways in which we shift the psyche of men who think that they own women's bodies whilst at the same time we continue to affirm ourselves as women with autonomy, with integrity, bodily integrity, and who can actually, not when I walk down, you know, the street and a a guy just whistles and say, come here, come here. Uh, That type of entitlement, whether it's informed by an absent father, I, I don't know, but that type of entitlement is what we have to, we have to attack. The type that I can have you as and when I want and in the way in which I want. And if you refuse, I will stab you, I will kill you, I will rape you, and so on. That is just not right. So all of those issues that that, that you mentioned are part of, a, a, I mean, they are issues that dem- demonstrate both a so- social and an economic crisis that exists in our society, you know. So we have to tackle the family structure, we have to tackle the way our communities uh, 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 respond or fail to respond when someone is screaming, it's not my problem and so on. We have to tackle all of those issues and which is why like, we are not approaching this as like an event, the moment of action, the national shutdown and so on, or 16 days and so on. We are saying that we, we as activists are demonstrating our will, our commitment, and our energies to actually work with whoever wants to work with us to eradicate the scourge. And we are hoping that those tasks with protecting and promoting our dignity and our rights will also come to the table in a meaningful way, not just uh, in, in a rhetoric, a political point-gaining manner. Going forward, well, we, there are certain, I mean, we have an agenda that we've, we've faced up. For us, the most important thing is that we would like people to commit to this process, number one, to commit by uh, the build-up events to the national shutdown that we are calling for, to commit to organizing events in their communities, in their, in their organizations, to bring forward the demands that that would be that would form part of this charter of rights that we are talking about. Uh, we want organizations to commit to uh, collaborating and strengthening our efforts, and uh, try not to uh, disperse uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the energies, but to make sure that the national shutdown is really felt that it is a national shutdown. Uh, which we hope will take place on Women's Day. And according to Ricky, there was a good turnout of people in support of the national shutdown scheduled for Women's Day in August this year. Thank you, Sheila. We had a good gathering with people coming from CBOs all over the Gauteng area. 
as well as a number of people coming from the big NGOs in the area. So we were very happy with the turnout, and we had a good discussion on building towards the national action in August. What was it really discussed yesterday? What were some of the key messages that came about? Uh, well, the key message is that if we, as women and um, children and, and, and people um, of non-conforming gender types, want to see a change in the, in the country, we have to take action ourselves. So it was about encouraging everyone to participate in the process, everyone to participate in mobilizing um, for a national action. The actions we are looking at is an occupation space where we will be talking about the issues, uh, where we will be looking at providing services and healing, uh, where we will be pulling together demands for the state and for important sectors like the faith-based sector, the business sector, the media sector, um, and we're really encouraging everyone in their own space to do something, to remember the work that was done in pulling together the 1956 um, demonstration, which was each woman took responsibility and to take responsibility in their own space uh, to organize so that we can um, get gender-based violence to be declared a national disaster and to be treated as such. You know, a lot of work has been done, and a lot of work has been done over a long time. We have a number of wonderful laws. The problem is the implementation is not being done. The process implementations, for example, in police stations, so that the police can properly receive and address complaints. So essentially our call is that the existing laws and constitution we have need to be properly implemented. A lot of work has been done calling for a national strategy, to be uh, accepted and resourced and implemented, and that still hasn't been done. Um, so we're not even at the level of talking about new laws. We're talking about implementing laws already in existence. Uh, furthermore, we're talking about changing people's uh, behavior. So we're calling on people, we're calling on sectors to behave differently. We're calling on, on, on ministers and um, rabbis to preach differently in the, in the pulpit. We're calling on business to plan differently for what happens both within their premise, but also how they impact and affect safety outside of their premises for their workers. Um, so our approach is not necessarily a legalistic approach. We're supporting the people who are involved in legal actions, but we're really calling as a society that we begin to act differently and that that change needs to happen now. So what's going to be happening between now and August? Um, there are organizations all over the country. There are individual women all over the country already organizing. Church groups are meeting on street corners. Young people are meeting in their own schools, in their own communities. So all that we're doing is pulling together these efforts and getting people to come together and plan to do shutdown occupations in every province in August. Um, it would be over a 10-day period leading up to the 9th of August because really if we're going to call August Women's Month, we want it to be understood in our terms. Now this is quite a massive movement that you are putting together, quite a massive plan that you are putting together. Who's sponsoring you and how do you afford to do all of this, to get so many people on board? Well, currently everybody who's working on the initiative is working out of their own organizational and individual resources. And we are calling on everybody to contribute. You know, when we spoke yesterday, we were reminded that the 1956 march was funded by women. 
they were able to find 90 buses from across the country to, to transport women to Pretoria. So we're encouraging everyone to contribute. There will be, um, um, there will be bank accounts opened so people can contribute money. We're asking corporates uh, to, to give money. We're asking NGOs to contribute from their own resources. Everyone who says they are serious about this issue should be making sure that we as a nation take it seriously. And how can people make these contributions? At the moment, we have a, an email address. It is siizimbogoto, S-I-Z-I-M-B-O-K-O-D-O, at gmail.com. And you can contact the working group and we'll be able to provide the details of how donations can be made, donations in kind, because it is a sit-in occupation, so we'll be needing food, we'll be needing water resources, sanitation resources, tenting resources, um, but we're also encouraging everybody in their own space to provide for how they can participate. My thanks goes there to Pumim Tweta and Ricky, both of them representing the Sizimbokodo movement, a movement aimed at making sure that current legislative laws concerning the rights and protection of women and children are implemented. And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to your Thursday's edition of Catholic View. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. This is a program produced and presented by Shayla Pish for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and thank you so much for listening. I'm Shayla Pish. Ciao, ciao.